to the Healing Grief Podcast with Catherine Churchill and regularly joined by a variety of different guests, all helping you travel through your journey of grief. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Megan Reardon Jarvis, a Washington, D.C.-based trauma therapist specializing in grief and loss. So thank you for joining the show, Megan. Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. You're welcome. So let's maybe begin by sharing what you do as a trauma therapist. Sure. So for the past, you know, it's about 20 years, I have been a therapist. So a social worker by training, which is sort of eclectic. And then, um, you know, added lots of trainings onto that so that I could become a therapist with a private practice here in this big metropolitan city. And I often say that I sort of backed my way into, you know, sort of accidentally stepped into being a trauma therapist mostly because clients that I I was seeing for other things, anxiety and depression, um, were bringing into the room, into our discussions, much larger energies about things from their past. And in several cases, things that happened to them while we were working together. And, you know, you can feel (laughs) when someone is carrying an energy, an overwhelming energy that's sort of stuck inside their system and their body, that sitting and talking about it is not, um, in fact, you know, what we know about it is that it can re-traumatize you because the trauma is, is trapped in the, your five senses experience in your body. Your body is what holds the trauma. Um, there's a beautiful book by uh, a man named Bessel van der Kolk that's still on the New York Times bestseller list here that many people, lay people and clinicians alike are reading, which is called The Body Keeps the Score, which talks about how you know both the brain and the body respond to trauma. So as a, talk, as a principal talk therapist, which is what I did, come in, tell me about your feelings. You know, what do you know about your feelings? What I was asking clients to do in the beginning was, um, you know, to use their intellect to sort of decipher their experience. But the issue with trauma is your intellect isn't really online. So there's two different, there's two different kinds of trauma that we distinguish sort of primarily. And, and one is a single event trauma, like you were in an earthquake or you were mugged or raped or in a car accident, that's a single event. And then there's developmental trauma, which is something, it, you know, it could be something as dramatic as sexual abuse or child abuse or neglect, but oftentimes it's also things like, you know, your parents weren't as physically affectionate as you would have craved, or you were raised in a strict religious household and that you didn't share those beliefs that that didn't work for you. And so those two different kinds of trauma that are sort of held in the system have an organization and sort of an understanding. They help you sort of translate and understand the world. And what's interesting about it from from just a really core understanding and the example that Vanderkoek uses in his book is that you and I could be driving in a car and get into a car accident and you would get out and go and tell people, oh my gosh, it was so crazy, this crazy thing happened and I might never get in a car again. Now we have the exact same traumatic experience. You were not traumatized, I was. So the traumatization is the body's overload. The, the, it's your neurosystem's overload 
and then the meaning that it makes from it. So there's all this intervention that we can offer as therapists around those parts, which are regulating the, you know, the overwhelm of the system, you know, your, your neurosystem, helping that sort of down and decompress. And how do we help sort of increase your ability, let's say in my, in the example I just gave to get back in a car, um, you know, how do you not take a single event or even a developmental experience and say, my life is going to be limited by those things. So I work with individuals, um, you know, every day I, you still doing it over, over, um, you know, the zoom and, and essentially what I'm doing is trying to expand people who have experienced trauma, their ability to both regulate their system and just sort of go and be in the world. Um, and so I have a variety of, there are, you know, those of us that are trauma therapists are trained in body centered therapy, which we call body, bottom up therapy. So talk therapy is top down and, uh, and, bottom centered means we go into the body. And so what it might sound like is when you say to me, you know, um, my father used to scream at me when I was a child, I ask you, where do you feel the energy in your body? When you think of your father, you know, yelling at you and we start from there. And our hope is that rather than talking about it, which can just make you feel it in your body over and over and over again and re-traumatize you, what we do is we start with, what does it feel like? You tell me it feels like a big rock in your chest and we help it move through your body. And so one of the things we, you and I talked about for just a moment is the idea that the body is a filter of our experiences. And that, you know, that really comes from, Vander der Kolk does a lot of the discussion about sort of where the brain's role is in it. But we know from trauma, um, clients, and I can tell you some of my own experiences, you know, the body has all these extreme and amazing responses to trauma. So in the example of grief, you know, there's a lot of overlap between grief and trauma. There's a lot of symptomatic overlap. Um, and so for trauma, what it means is you're sort of stuck in it. And with grief, you're, you maybe are just processing through you know, through it, or hopefully you're processing through it. But the, but the notion essentially is that you are having these physical responses and they need some sort of support and regulation. And so what happens in grief is people don't eat, they can't sleep, they're met, they have terrible memory loss. There's a whole sort of format of things that they go through um, that are really typical and normal. And what we know is there's stuff going on inside the system. You know, we've looked at things, we've looked at the inside of a person's body um, and, and tested it and gotten feedback on it um, in terms of what happens during grief. And we have looked at what is happening from, you know, a brain science perspective. Um, and so there are, there are, things that we can look at and say, wow, you know, the amygdala, which is the part of the base of the brain that enlarges when we are under extreme stress or if we have a stress response. And so, you know, that element means that your ability to get oxygen to the front of your brain where you do your thinking is, is cut off. So it's all kind of interconnected, but our body is certainly filtering. 
is sort of filtering mm-hmm. the, um, the trauma and the grief experience. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, um, just the body connection to things. Yeah, so I can give you a personal example. So my my dad died of um, cancer slowly in 2017. He got a diagnosis and it took him about a year to die. And it was very upsetting and sad. And, you know, it's still something that I'm processing and coming to understand, but it wasn't particularly traumatic. It was a, you know, a terrible event and terribly sad, but it didn't overwhelm me from a sort of neurological perspective. Um, my mom died in, in 2019, totally unexpectedly in her sleep while I was on vacation with her and my, um, my family was there and, um, almost immediately my body had really significant, um, you know, I, I couldn't make sense of things. I, um, couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I had very strong um, dreams. All of that sort of happened immediately. After, you know, a couple of weeks after her death, I started to have really terrible post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, those images and flashes that would come into my head of, you know, being told that she had died, trying to get back to where she was, sitting with her body um, and praying over her body. So I went from sort of kind of functioning, being upset and sad, to basically being tormented by these thoughts and images in my head kind of for a whole day at a time. And my images came connected with um, a thought, you know, a sort of a compulsive thought, which was that it was my fault that she had died. And even though I I knew intellectually that wasn't the case, I still had this part of me that was coming in to sort of say, you know, "This this is your fault, which is incredibly common in grief. And what ultimately happened as I, you know, I'm a trauma therapist. I know all the people in town that do trauma. I know all of the techniques, but I couldn't really get the interventions online fast enough. Um, and so I still, you know, my, I was still traumatized by my mother's death and I threw my back out so badly that I could not walk from my basement where it happened. I couldn't stand up and come back upstairs. I couldn't, I was just totally trapped in my basement. And I reached out to a colleague and said like, wow, I am only getting worse. My body is, you know, now I've thrown my back out and I can't even sit up straight. I was in so much pain. And she said, sit tight. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to find a treatment plan for you. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this. And when she called me back with a treatment plan, which included three weeks of inpatient trauma care, I was, you know, devastated by it because I didn't want to need that much, but I was immediately relieved. And within 30 minutes, my back let go. And I could, I mean, I had been trapped downstairs for a couple of days and within 30 minutes of her telling me I have, you know, help is on the way my body released the, you know, the crunchy accordion of my back. And I was able to stand up and go upstairs and make plans to get treatment. Well, yeah, I've, the more that I sort of research this or have guests on that talk about this, I've noticed, I guess, you know, with, within my own work, with my readings, um, people often, people that I read for often have, 
major illnesses after a person has passed. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's, there's the two pieces of that, right? Like there's, I mean, I'm so interested in your work as a medium because I was drawn to every time I've ever trained in a therapy, someone has said to me, oh, you already do this. So like a lot of the body centered therapy, you, the energy is grounded in your body. So, you know, in your body, whether or not you're landing where they need to go, you can feel, and often right before we unburden some heaviness in a client session, I feel this incredible rush of energy in my chest. And so I just, I know what's about to happen. I know we're about to sort of move and when my mom died, actually, um, I was driving my three children in our minivan to go pick up a cousin in Boston, which is about an hour away from where we were staying on Cape Cod. And my mom had had a, you know, a stomach bug of sort of not insignificant illness, but not something that anyone expected to kill her. And we, I, I parked my minivan and my kids ran inside to go get their cousin and I had this unbelievable rushing sensation in my stomach, like your water breaking. And I looked down at my legs expecting to, see, I wasn't pregnant. I, but I looked down expecting to see water. And then I had this perfectly clear thought, which was she's dead. And I called my husband who was back at the house and said, have you seen my mom? And he was like, no, I haven't seen her. How weird. And I was like, I think she's dead. I need you to go find her. And she was dead. And that's the most extreme example. And actually that, that knowing in my body that, that was part of actually the physical trauma that was pretty terrifying for me to come to terms with. But I can tell you as a clinician, I have had smaller iterations. I had a client who came in his very first session and said, you know, he wanted to talk about work stress and he wanted to talk about um, you know, a relationship that he was in and he very casually at the end of the session said, Oh, you know, my brother just got this weird diagnosis and that's stressing me out a little bit. And he walked out of my office and I was like, Oh my God, his brother is going to die. And his brother did die. So th there have been a lot of sort of like energetic responses that my body, you know, we have this nerve that the vagus nerve that goes all the way from the top of our head down to the base of our spine. And it's the super highway. It conducts information upward and downward. And what I know is there is a level of conduction that happens that, you know, of that energy that is un, un trans, you can't translate it with intellect because I have experienced that so many times. And I think people talk about that, their gut and their instinct and their knowing. And I imagine in your work, that is something that you are deeply tapped into that's inexplicable. It's not something, you know, when people say to me that they love working with me, um, I think part of what they're talking about is the energetic tether that happens where I can feel you know, like a good massage therapist, like I can feel where we need to go, even though I don't necessarily understand it myself mm -hmm. or even know where we're going. You know, I have a, I've had a couple of clients who were like, I need you to tell me exactly what we're doing. And I'm like, I don't know what we're doing, but I, I but I know it's okay what we're doing. Mm -hmm. 
That just reminded me of something when I was growing up. I always felt things in my body. And I don't think I fully realized it actually until maybe about three or four years ago that, hey, this is kind of like how I, you know, how information often comes through me um, during a reading. Um, but yeah, growing up, I would feel things like in body parts. Um, and yeah, yeah. As, I, as I've said to you, I'm sort of just learning all of this, um, you know, recently at somatic therapies and um, it's just fascinating how things, how trauma or, you know, feelings get trapped in body parts or, you know, in our bodies. Right. Um, and just how, Sick. yeah, and just how everything is like, so connected. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It's really humbling, I think, when you come to understand that, you know, I was listening to a lecture not so very long ago about um, obesity rates in African-Americans. And part of what the doctor was talking about was, you know, there's just absolutely a link between chronic stress and obesity. There just absolutely is. And so as much as we wanna talk about, you know, nutrition and exercise and all of those things, really what we're talking about is how do we process through in the body? How do we process through chronic stress? You know, and that's something in my work and my world, like my most recent soapbox really is about, you know, we have millions in, in just in my country, you know, over 3 million people who are suddenly grieving, who would not have been without this virus. I know multiple people who've lost multiple members of their family. I'm close to a, a, a woman who almost every member of her family has had COVID and they had two deaths you know, that we're not prepared for that. And then most of what we're doing, it's like the tool, the, the sort of not so great tools that we've had, like, you know, the wake and the funeral and the, like those tools, those cultural tools, we can't even use them. And so we have this entire culture that's coming up with loss upon loss upon loss. We can't use the regular tools. And most people really have no idea what to do. Like more than so many times in, in just not even in the COVID years, but in my work, people have come in and said to me, aside from crying, what does it mean to grieve? Or, okay, Megan, I'll, I'll be happy to feel my feelings, but what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean feel my feelings? Or the phrase that I have one guy who's like, if you say that to me one more time, sit with your feelings or honor your feelings, you know? For a lot of people, that that doesn't that has no meaning. And so being able to say to somebody, you know, where do you tend? When you were a young kid, did you isolate or did you seek out people? You know, you got you what you need to do, the way that I think about it and the way that I think about it for myself still, because my mom's death is still an every single day part of my life, is that there you have to grow your a part of you, a new part of you that you never had before. You know, I think about I have three kids, and before I had kids, I was not a mother. But in order to be the person who cared for those children. I had to become a mother, but you become a mother 
only through the act of having those kids really. And so it's like on the job training, right? Like you're learning how to do this thing while it's happening to you. That is what grief is. You have to learn to grow the griever, learn what resources you use, how to be in your body, how to process through your feelings. And to some degree, you know, I have, a, I have had loss in my life. This, my parents were not the first important, you know, people to me that I lost. Um, but the way that I responded to my friend's death when I was in my twenties, which was a lot of socialization and a lot of therapy and a lot, I, that's not really available to me right now. And with my mom's death, I didn't find talk therapy very helpful. You know, talk therapy again is a lot of like, tell me how you're feeling. And I felt crazy. So going in and having somebody reflect back to you, oh, you feel crazy was not very helpful. So I ended up, I do a lot of writing and that became sort of my creative outlet, but being able to teach people and say, listen, we need to, you need to know what an emotion is because the emotion is sort of like a bug, you know, it's not, it comes in and it comes out. And so we need to be able to identify emotions. You might have a flash of anger and sorrow right at the same time, because we can have multiple emotions to be able to identify, identify when they're lingering, identify when they need some help to move through and then figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's equally as valid to be a, a runner or an exerciser if that's going to move through. But just because somebody read that in Oprah magazine doesn't mean it works for everyone. There are just as many people who are running to dissociate from feelings as there are people to, who are running to move through feelings. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the general population doesn't know that. They just saw that Oprah said running is really good for you when you're grieving. And so they're doing it. And for some that's working. And for others, they're, they're actually mm-hmm. making themselves less well. Yeah. Even, I guess, you know, the, the five stages of grief and, um, you know, it's not the same for everyone. Um, but I have noticed recently in my readings and I've, I've read for quite a lot of people recently who have lost people to COVID things have changed. Like just the dynamic of people grieving, um, you know, it's energetically, I can feel it, but just the way like people are coping with things um, has completely changed just over, you know, maybe like the last six to eight months, I would say. Um, And, you know, how, I guess, you as a trauma therapist, how, say if somebody is grieving, maybe they're in the very early stages of grief, what can they do if maybe they can't get to a a trauma therapist? um, What can they do? It's a great question. So let me back up and say one one thing because it's like it's every you know every grief informed therapist is like you know it, it, it's a little Sisyphean like we're pushing a boulder up a hill and then it rolls back down on us when it comes to and you may know this already but the the five stages of grief which Elizabeth Kubler Ross gave us a long time ago but she didn't mean to give us what she gave us she was really trying to tell people who were dying what to expect not people who were grieving what to expect. And in fact, when we, she was alive, when the pivot took place and um, she, she didn't really stop it from happening because, uh, you know, I think she sort of felt like, well, people need something, but there are not five stages of grief. There are not five stages of grief. There are not five stages of grief. Those, there are elements of grief 
and they are completely unique for every person. So I like to think of it as you are growing yourself as a griever. And it has nothing, to, I never have, I've, at any time anyone has ever been sick, I have never bargained. I have never said to God, if only, you know, I'll, I'll be a better person. It is not, and there's no such stage theory. So there are some modern theories about grief and loss. Um, but, you know, when I'm talking to clients about it, helping them sort of figure out how to grieve the first thing that I really feel is like this profound frustration and sadness that we don't just teach a class on it. You know, my, my daughter who's 13 and my son who's 11, they both had to take a human health class about puberty. Neither of them were going through puberty when they took the class, but the expectation was it's kind of traumatic and we don't want you to get bad information from people. And also you, we know that kids kind of support each other through this. So like, we wanna make sure everybody's on the same page. And it's awkward as hell. Like those kids, my daughter came home and she was like, please don't make me take this class. I can't go back. And I was like, I know it's terrible but you gotta do it because if you don't do it then you don't have the information. And so the first thing I do with grievers is I say, I am so sorry. It feels like you were not taught this information. Because if you go on grief and loss boards, it's all there. The people who have been through it can tell you exactly what it's going to be like. So one of the things that I do do is I guide people to grief and loss boards because it is really comforting. They're not all equally great, but I don't, it doesn't even matter. There are some um, therapists who offer courses and if you can't get to, you know, therapy is expensive and it's time consuming. And for most people, grief is not, it is a traumatic event that processes that we, that we learn to process on our own. It is painful and it is terrible, but we do it. I mean, we are wired to do it. So we don't need to, we don't need to look at it as a pathology and say it's a problem, but it is something that needs a tremendous amount of support. And if you look at people who have had multiple great, you know, multiple events, you had a, a woman on who, um, early on in your podcasting who had had lost like eight members of her family. Um, you know, those are the people that we really want to make sure have access and grief and loss boards are beautiful because you can go on them at two 30 in the morning and mm -hmm. say, is anybody up? I'm having a really hard day. But what you see on a grief and loss board is, you know what? People are going to say stupid things to you and here are the stupid things they're going to say. I wish we taught a class so that everybody knew not to say those things. I don't understand why as societies, we continue to do over and over and over what people have told us is not good and doesn't work, but that's where we're at. Um, you will also see people saying that they're having a lot of trouble with relationships, friends who they have cared about their whole lives do not know how to show up for them. And, you know, again, I use the analogy to being a new mom. I had lots of people say to me, well, when you have a baby, your single friends aren't really going to be able, you know, things will change. That's also true in grieving when you're, when you are grieving and it takes as long as it takes, there are some friends that cannot wait around for you to go back to normal or are enraged that you never did go back to normal. And yet we don't say to grievers, then here's something that's gonna happen 100% of the time, you are gonna lose some friendships. That is gonna be the deal. 
So there are some universals that I feel like if someone doesn't have access to sitting and processing through with a therapist, there are some really beautiful websites out there that can just make you feel seen and known. I mean, I think primarily one of the most painful parts of, of grieving is how alone people feel and how isolated. But one of the things that I say, you know, we, we feel alone and what we say is, oh my gosh, I should not feel alone. But one of the things that I say to every one of my clients is yes, you should. You lost this unique relationship with this person all by yourself. We lose our people all alone. Similar to how you run a marathon all alone. It doesn't mean that there can't be people at the start and at the finish and handing you cups of water and clapping for you and wrapping you up in a, you know, a towel and giving you a massage, but you are running by yourself. And yet again, because we don't have great grief education, people think that someone is doing something wrong because they feel so alone. They think I should not feel this way. And so what I say is, no, 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 you are going to feel this way. You absolutely will feel this way. And Mm -hmm. that that's not abnormal. And let's figure out how to get you support. So the second thing that I generally say to people who are grieving is what instinctively comes naturally? What are you craving doing? And so if people say, I want to go to sleep, I say, go to sleep. Because maybe that really is what your body needs. And lots of other people are like, no, you got to get up. You got to go get exercise. Listen, if five weeks from now, they're still asleep, we can yell about the exercise. But in my experience, when people say instinctively, I need to go to sleep and I say, go home and go to sleep, they do not sleep for five weeks. They just sleep some more. Or if people say, you know, I used to paint a lot in college and I've been wondering about getting out my paints, let's go get the paints. We have these instinctive knowings, similar to what we've been talking about, you know, in both of our work of where, of how our body wants to filter out the grief. And so for me, it was writing and I was not a writer beforehand. And I have this whole element of my life now. I teach, you know, I teach a class that's a grief writing class. I write every day. I have two books that I'm writing right now. I mean, it's totally surprising to me. I have, I have never really used that kind of processing before, but the writing is so helpful to me because it allows me to not think so much. I know that the thoughts that I've had repeatedly are on the page because I put them there with my hand. And so it gives me permission to not have to think them so often because I wrote them down. And writing is not going to be for everybody, but writing, you know, there's a lot of writing groups out there. And I offer mine for free and it has some real therapeutic components, partly because, you know, the thing that I keep screaming into the wind is we, we all, all of us professionals need to take really good care of ourselves and offer more than what we were offering. And so, you know, for me, I just sort of sat down and was like, what can I offer? And so I have this, you know, great little online group that's, you know, this is the second time I've done it in such a large format, but it's usually a hundred or 150 people. And we just, you know, use our words to help trigger some feelings and then try to move through them. Mm -hmm. 
where can people join this online writing group? So it's on my, my um, I have a blog, which is called Grief is My Side Hustle. And if you go to that blog on there, it says, you know, join grief mates or, you know, do a writing workshop with me. Okay. So grief, the grief mates right now, we're in the middle of it. And I usually don't let people in after it started, but they're, they usually are, they usually start in the middle of the month. And if you sign up, you know, on grief is my side hustle or go to my Facebook page under the same name, um, I'm, I post about it all the time. I mean, I just, and I, and I will let you know when it's happening and you can let people know if you Mm -hmm. want to, but I definitely, it's a lovely, it's a lovely offering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll definitely let people know. I'll try and link, um, put a link on my podcast as well. And what about people who would love to have a session with you? Because your work is just fascinating to me. And I just feel like it would, I'd be recommending this to all my clients. So where can people find you? On my website, same thing. There's a like, you know, just contact Megan. Um, And what I can tell you is, you know, I know I seem unique in the world, there are loads that are about talking about grief and loss, but there are trauma therapists all over the world. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of, and these are, this is also on my website. Like I put a ton of resources on there, but the, but the body centered therapies, um, Peter Levine has one, which is, uh, sensory, well, um, somatic experiencing Pat Ogden's is sensory motor psychotherapy. There's one, Dick Schwartz is internal family systems, IFS. Um, EMDR is another treatment. Brain spotting is another treatment. All the body centered have these formal trainings that they do. And the, we as practitioners are all over the world. Mm-hmm. So once you know what the kind of body, bottom up body centered therapies are, you know what things to look for when you're looking at practitioners. Are they trained in? And what I'm trained in is um, internal family systems, which is a, it's not exactly a trauma-based model, but it, I, it is used for trauma. And uh, Pat Ogden's sensory motor psychotherapy, those are the two that I use primarily. I also do, do EMDR and brain spy. Okay. Um, and also just quickly, um, because I've kept you for a long time. Oh, no, thank you. Um, what about with... I was talking to somebody recently and I have, you know, had a few guests on my podcast, a guest who have kind of touched on this, but what about, you know, grief through in other ways? So not necessarily, you know, somebody um, dying, um, maybe the loss of a relationship. So it's obviously the same thing, you know, it gets trapped in our bodies. So, I mean, do you have any advice for somebody who's maybe, you know, grieving in a different way other than, a death? It's a beautiful question. And, you know, and what I generally say to the folks who are coming to my, to my website is that my bias is towards the loss of a relationship with another person. Um, but you are 100% right. And then a lot of the therapy that I do in trauma therapy that we talk about is about a thousand losses. You know, you can have, you can be traumatized by the loss of a dream something you never even had, you know, in your life. Um, So yes, I mean, there's two different pieces, right? And you put it so beautifully, which is there's the loss itself and then the grief in relationship to the loss. 
right? And so the loss, you know, we can't do anything to resist that loss. We've already done everything that we could to prevent this from happening. So generally what we're doing is growing the grieving part of us. And to be honest, you know, I, I, I am really unbelievably respectful of the fact that people are not grieving the same thing when their dog dies versus when their grandmother dies or their child dies or their, but in terms of the skill of knowing yourself as a griever, like rather than saying, I need to know how to grieve, like I need to know the rules of soccer and instead say, come to know yourself as an athlete and then put yourself on the soccer pitch and see what that feels like. That's what we're talking about, which is come to know yourself as a griever. What do you need? You know, I'm, I have five brothers and sisters. I was the only one traumatized by my, my, by my mother's death. So it's come to know yourself and come to know what you need. And it doesn't, once you, once you are trustworthy with your own knowledge and understanding of yourself, like I need to get some exercise that helps me get some, and I sort of learned that through not getting exercise and through not feeling well. Once I know that, it doesn't really matter what loss I'm responding to. I'm always going to know to add exercise to my grief practice, right? And that's how I think about it as a grief practice, which is, you know, how am I showing up to my loss every day as a griever? And there are cultures that do this really well. Like, you know, Hispanic cultures have altars of pictures and icons and candles, and they, they, they expect to do grief every day. You know, the Irish Catholics, they don't do that so much. You know, they, they wait for the anniversaries and, and they don't do it quite the same way. But my expectation for my clients is not, let's read a book on how to grieve written by someone who isn't you and instead say your job is to become the expert of what you need and it's going to be really challenging because you've never needed this before but if you get curious and experimental you know i mean when my mom died i was like i'll try anything you know you you tell me you like reiki let's go do reiki acupuncture no problem vitamins i'll do it i'll do it all but a lot of it is taking those emotions as they sort of accumulate and generate an overall sense of feeling and doing what it takes physically. And I don't mean exercise. I mean, it could be breath work. It could be sleeping. It could be eating. It could be knitting. But taking that energy and helping it have an arc so that it comes through you know, and then it's going to come through again. A lot of what people talk about is being triggered in grief, right? Like they were fine. And then all of a sudden the song came on and they had this really strong reaction. There's a phrase for it in grief to make it sort of different than trauma because trauma is, oh my God, I'm having the five senses experience of the reenactment of this terror. And grief is I am overwhelmed by the sense of loss that I wasn't feeling. And they call it a, a stug, which is a sudden temporary upsurge of grief, but it doesn't matter what we call it. Everybody knows what it is. And, you know, how do we bear witness to that moment? And what a lot of people tell me is, oh, well, you know, I just sort of pushed it aside. And then I, you know, I thought about it a little bit later in the afternoon, but here's the thing. 
that big plume of emotion is similar to laughter. Like if you find something funny, you can't say, oh, I'm going to wait until later and I'll laugh about that later. You, it, that's not how that works. You have the sensory experience that includes laughter now. You laugh now. And the expectation isn't, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to stop laughing. Although certainly that happens sometimes. We get the giggles. It's inappropriate. We have to, but you know, I don't think anyone's ever been hospitalized because they were in hysterics for so long. They couldn't like go back to work the same way that we fear if I let myself cry right now in this moment in the grocery store, because our song from our wedding is on, um, you know, they're afraid if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. And we actually have data, you know, people, they kind of cry in these big seven minute jags and then they slow down and take a breath and get some water and go to the bathroom. And so it doesn't, I'm not saying it never happens because certainly people have been hospitalized and certainly people have become psychotic, but those are the, those are the things that are more trauma-based and more pathological. You know, for most of us generally, we just need to learn how do I help myself move through the system. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's so much more that I have to ask you, but I don't want to keep you today. Um, So thank you so much for joining today. And um, sorry, so what was your website again? It's called Grief is My Side Hustle, all one word. Okay, so people can find you, and I'll post yep. your links yep. everywhere. Thank you. That's great. And sure, they can be in touch with me directly. Um, and anytime you want to chat again, I am so fascinated. Maybe one day, if you're doing readings, I can get a reading mm-hmm. when I'm brave. I would love to Definitely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me.